morning. We are so glad that you're here today, very thankful for your presence. We want to remember our young folks. They are away at camp this weekend. We've got a large number of young people who are gone. They will be back this afternoon. Some of the parents are with them. And so we hope and pray that it's been a profitable weekend for them and that they return safely this afternoon. We're very grateful for your presence today. We're going to be looking, as was read a moment ago by Jacob, Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be looking at Hebrews 11, verses 24 through 27 in our study today. We appreciate so much your presence. If you are visiting, as always, please come back and be with us. We're so happy that you're here today. We would love to have you come and be a part of the work here at Olive Branch. We're very grateful for the opportunity that we have to serve in this community, and we want to do our best to make Christ known, not just in this community, but around the world. Very grateful for all the opportunities that we have before us, and we want to exercise the great opportunities that come our way from day to day. We are looking at Hebrews chapter 11, and our study today is going to accentuate the theme, making choices that count. All of us make choices in life, don't we? We make varying degrees of choices. Some choices, some decisions that we make, obviously carry greater weight than others. But we are people that have been blessed with opportunities to choose in life. Sometimes the choices that we make impact our future. There are times when we make decisions in life that carry a great deal of weight. In our lesson text today, we read about a man by the name of Moses who became, as you well know, the great leader and lawgiver of ancient Israel. Moses made some choices in life. As a matter of fact, Moses made a series of choices and based on those choices, ultimately became very, very blessed. And as you well know, a prominent figure in the history of the Israelite nation, the Hebrew people. So I want us to look at Hebrews chapter 11 today. Let's think for a minute or two about making choices that count. I want to begin our study by first and foremost talking about the decisions of Moses. And Moses made a series of, de of decisions in life that, as I made mention of a moment ago, impacted his life greatly. First, I want you to note he made a decision about his pedigree. Down in verse 24, the Bible says, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin for a season. Now if you go back to the book of Exodus in chapters 1 and 2, you read the narrative written later by Moses who looked back and could write under the superintendence of the Holy Spirit about the plight of the Hebrews in Egypt. And you remember the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1 that there arose a new king in Egypt who knew not Joseph. In other words, he didn't know the God of Joseph. And seeing the great numbers of the Israelite people, the Hebrew people, he became somewhat alarmed. He was afraid of their growth and their multiplication in the land. So he made a decree to destroy all the young males who were born in the land of Egypt. The mother of Moses, the Bible tells us, 
in an effort to save that child, placed that small infant at the riverbed. Pharaoh's daughter had gone down to the riverbed to bathe, and she saw the child. And the Bible tells us that she took that child and basically raised him as her own. So we talk about Moses making some decisions about his pedigree. Listen again now to what the writer said. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses had to make a decision that involved what we might say very familiar associations or family associations. Luke tells us in Acts chapter 7, in verse 22, that Moses was reared in Egypt and he was a very learned man in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And Luke said he was mighty both in words and deeds. In verse 23, the Bible tells us when he, when he came to about the age of 40, he made the decision to consciously walk away from his family relations, that is, from the household of Pharaoh. Now, can you imagine making a decision like that? Basically cutting ties with the very people that reared him and schooled him, the tremendous influence that had been exerted in his life. He walked away from all of that and aligned himself with his own people. Now, we talk about the difficulty of making decisions. And there are times in life when we have to make decisions about our own family members. Jesus in Luke chapter 14 talked about how if any man comes to me and doesn't love less his father, mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, he said, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Sometimes we have to make a choice in life. Sometimes those decisions affect family relations, don't they? Moses made a very conscious decision to walk away from people that I have no doubt he loved and appreciated. I mean, you think about here were people that he had been around for some 40 years. And he makes a conscious decision to walk away from them. There have been people in days gone by that have had to make a choice in life. They have had to decide whether or not to become a New Testament Christian or stay affiliated with their families. I remember sitting at a table one time with a family. A lady talked about how when she made the decision to become a New Testament Christian. That her family members basically ostracized her. They didn't want anything to do with her anymore. Now you imagine that kind of decision. On the one hand, we make a decision to align ourselves with God's people. That becomes our family. But to walk away from family relations, people that we've known and loved can be very, very difficult. So, he made a decision about his pedigree. It involved family associations, but also it involved future afflictions. Now, if you go back and read the book of Exodus, you know that God's people were being mistreated. They were in the land of bondage, and they were being severely mistreated. They were being worked as slaves, as we would say. 
and they cried out to God. They wanted liberation from Egyptian bondage. But here is Moses, and he makes this conscious decision to walk away from family associations and then add to that the fact, not only is he walking away from people he loved, but he is walking into the face of affliction, difficulties. How many of us would be willing to give up a comfortable life? How many of us would be willing to walk away from a land, a life of comfort and pleasure and niceties to a life of affliction and persecution and trouble and trial? You know, sometimes as Christians, since we belong to the family of God and based on our faith in the Lord, we face a number of problems, a number of persecutions. There are times in life when, yes, we're persecuted by our own family members. There are times in life when our own family, as I said a moment ago, will turn against us. But the world can turn against us. Paul would say in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus, he said, shall suffer persecution. So here's a man that made some very conscious decisions. Now think about the fact that he made some decisions about his pedigree, but he also made some decisions about pleasures in life. The text says he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin for a season. A couple of thoughts here. I think first and foremost, Moses understood. He knew something about the sinful pleasures of life, didn't he? And he had this concept, he had the mindset that they can be thrilling. Now you tell me the devil doesn't do his best to tempt, to try us with the allurements of the world. Now, Moses knew something about how the pleasures of life could be thrilling. The devil has done his best to mask the reality of the world, hasn't he? I mean, the devil paints a picture that the world has so many things to offer. The allurements of the world. John talks about the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. I think about all of the allurements that are out there and the devil is constantly baiting and trapping people. He wants us to think that, you know what, in the world we can have happiness and satisfaction. But there is contentment in the world. Yes, the world can be thrilling. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew writer said that Moses turned his back on the pleasures of sin. Can you have a life of pleasure in the world? You better believe it. Man, there are a lot of things out there that can be captivating. There are things in this world that can bring you instant gratification, instant pleasure. That's why the devil is the master at it. Peter said, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary the devil walks about as a roaring lion. I think about advertisements. 
by the alcohol industry? How many times do they paint a setting that looks so, so, well, almost surreal, doesn't it? They'll have a group of people sitting around and they're drinking the alcoholic beverage of their choice. Maybe they're at the beach or they're at a bar or they're, they're in a home. And it looks so good and so, so fun, so pleasurable. And yet, you never see them talk about the number of highway deaths associated with people who are drinking and driving. You never hear them talk about cirrhosis of the liver. You never hear them talk about how alcohol destroys brain cells, and yet isn't that how the devil operates? He paints a picture. And what the devil says is the world is fun, the world is entertaining, the world is where you need to be. And yet Moses had, Moses had the presence of mind to recognize that yes, sinful pleasure can be thrilling, but here's the bottom line. He knew that sinful pleasure at best is temporary. Listen again to what the writer said. He chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin, the passing, the temporary pleasures of sin. I want to ask you a question. Let's just say you immerse, you immerse yourself in the world. And let's just say that you accumulate all of the things that the world has to offer. You've got money and you've got material goods. You've got stocks and bonds and land. And you've got all kinds of toys, all the bells and whistles that the world has to offer. And you have all these things to gratify you, to bring you immense pleasure. And so you have immersed your life in sensual gratification. No thought about God. No thoughts about living for God, about trying to live in accordance with the will of God, the ways of God. You have lived a purely secular life, nothing spiritual. So you get to the end of, of the road and you're confronted with the haunting question, what now? I mean, you have, you've had everything. You've tried everything. You've enjoyed this and you've enjoyed that. You've tried this, you've tried that. Do you remember Solomon back in Ecclesiastes? Solomon had everything, didn't he? Solomon was a man of immense power. He was the king over, over Israel. He was a man of renown. Everyone knew Solomon. He was a man of great prominence. A household name, as we would say. A man of great fame. The queen of Sheba came from the ends of the earth, the Bible says, to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And she said, the half hasn't been told. He is a man that has more toys, more bells and whistles than you could ever imagine. In chapter 2, the Bible talks about all the many things that he accumulated and made in life. And then, Pleasure, he said, whatever my eyes desired, I kept not from them. Here's a guy that had the opportunity to walk in any place, and if he saw something he wanted, he could get it just like that. But down in verse 17, the Bible says, despite all that Solomon had, 
The Bible says he hated life. Something was missing, wasn't it? There was a void, a vacuum in his life. And so when I look at, when I look at the world and I think about the pleasures of sin, I have to understand something, that all this is passing away. John said, the world passes away and the lust thereof. I want you to think about something. Let's just say you live a totally secular life. You step out into eternity. And all the things that brought you gratification and pleasure and happiness in this life, you're now separated from those things. The material side of life brought you happiness and gratification instantly. You will have the presence of mind, the memory to recall those things. But you can't get to them. Imagine a million years from now wanting this or wanting that. Gone. You can think about it, but you can't gratify yourself with them. Jesus asked, What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, there's a second thing I want you to see in our study. First, the decisions of Moses. Secondly, let's think for a minute or two about the discernment of Moses. First and foremost, I want to suggest to you that Moses was a man of values. He had a value system. We live in a day and time when, sadly, we lack a value system. Our world, our nation is bankrupt in many respects in terms of spiritual values. So when I talk about here was a man that had a value system, you ask the question, well, how so? Number one, he recognized the temporary nature of earthly wealth. We miss that in many, many ways. How many of you have ever read something about the findings from the tomb of King Tut back in about 1923? His tomb was discovered. And he was a boy king. They say he died probably at the age of 18 or 19 years of age. When his tomb was discovered, some 5,000 different artifacts were found. It was an amazing find. And there were three sarcophaguses. The inner coffin of the boy king weighed about 250 pounds, made of solid gold. The worth of that one gold treasure would be over $5 million today. Now you have to understand that in the history of the Egyptian kingdom or nation, this was in the waning days of the kingdom. So here was a boy king, what we might say somewhat of an insignificant pharaoh or king, and yet... The treasures were enormous. It was an incredible find. So you think about here was Moses. 
Here's this young fellow that has been trained in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He has the world at his fingertips. An immensely wealthy family. And he walks away from all of it. Do you think he understood something about the earthly nature of wealth? We miss it, as I said a minute ago. Paul said, godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Paul would say, but having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. The world says, you want to be content? You want to be happy in life? Then you need to chase your dreams. And, I don't, and I'm not in any way minimizing chasing our dreams and goals in life. What I am saying, though, is if our goals and dreams in life are just to get wealthy and to accumulate more of this world's goods, let me tell you what, if that's, if that's what life is all about, we're going, to be, we're going to be disappointed one day. Because at some point in time, the train's going to stop and we're going to get off. And then, then what? What was it Paul said? We brought nothing into this world. It's certain we can carry nothing out. He said, those who are minded to be rich fall into a temptation and snare and many foolish and harmful lust which drown men in destruction and perdition. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil which some men having reached after have pierced themselves through with many sorrows and been led astray from the faith. What happens is money and materialism, the things of this world can weigh us down. We can become disillusioned. And we can have this idea that, you know what, this train's going to last forever. But I got news, it's not going to last forever. Moses recognized, he understood something about the nature of, as we would say, earthly wealth. Temporary wealth. But he also understood something about the timeless nature of eternal wealth. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 26. He esteemed the reproach of Christ. Moses, through the eye of faith, could see the coming of the Messiah, the Anointed One. He wrote about Him in Exodus chapter 18, or rather Deuteronomy chapter 18. He wrote about the promised seed in Genesis chapter 3. And the prophets of old foretold of the reproaches that would be laid upon the sinless back of the Son of God. And in a sense, he could suffer as a type of the Christ. So the Bible says he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. He's got the world at his fingertips, and yet he turns, he turns away from all that. He knew something about the temporary nature of earthly wealth, the timeless nature of eternal wealth, and listen to what it says. He looked to the reward. Do you remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven, where neither moth nor rust corrupt and thieves do not break in and steal. Moses knew something about that eternal dimension in life, didn't he? I wish people today in our world, I wish some people in the church had a better understanding of the temporal and the timeless. 
of the eternal and the ephemeral. To recognize that there is more to life than just the here and now. And here was a young man, and the Bible says he looked to the reward. Let's just think about that for a minute. Here was a guy that was heavenly motivated, wasn't he? Here's a guy that's thinking about eternity. Do you remember remember in this chapter, in chapter 11, the Bible talks about those great patriarchs of the past, Abraham? The Bible said, He looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. In verse 16, the Bible says, in Hebrews chapter 11, these all died in faith. In verse 16, the Bible says, they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. He was a guy that was motivated by heaven. Does heaven motivate you? Don't you want to go to heaven one day? Don't you look forward to one day being in the presence of God and with the people of God? This guy was motivated by heaven. This past week, one of my former professors, Tom Holland, passed away. Brother Holland was 87 years of age. And I can tell you, he lived a life that was focused on the Lord. Everything he did was about serving the Lord and one day being in the presence of the Lord. Do you remember what Paul said, Philippians chapter 1? For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Our loss is His gain. Moses was not only heavenly motivated, he was heavenly minded. I mean, the Bible says he looked to the reward. Are you heavenly minded? We live in a world that bombards us daily. And and the world says you need this and you need this and you need this and you need to accumulate this and when you get some time, get a little bit of that. The world says you can never have enough. The world says it's it's all about me. The world says spend your life bringing gratification to yourself. Forget about Forget about down the road. Not this guy. Paul said, set your mind, set your affection on things above, listen to him, and not on things on the earth. Sometimes we get so caught up in the here and now, we forget about eternity. Moses is working and laboring, and yet he's got his eye on that reward. Is that you? Is that a picture of you? Paul said, our citizenship is where? It's in heaven, whence also we wait for a Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ. We are to live with a mindset that looks upward to God. We are to keep our eyes on the cross, the Christ. So you look at at this guy Moses, and here was a guy that was a man of values. He was a man of vision. Tremendous vision. He lived by faith. He died in faith. And very quickly and finally, let's talk for a minute or two about the dedication of Moses. Moses was a man devoted to God. 
The Bible tells us in verse 27, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. I think about here was a guy that forsook the land of Egypt. And what did Egypt signify? A land of burdens, a land of bondage. Could I ask you a question today? Is the land of Egypt, is it not in some way representative today of the world? When we walk away from the world, we're walking away from a life of bondage. We're walking away from a life of burdens. Solomon said the way of the transgressor is hard. Here's what happens though. Sometimes when we leave Egypt, when we leave the world, we don't completely leave the world. We forget to forsake it all. So we carry some of the world with us. Not so with Moses. Moses left Egypt, left it in the past. It was a land of burden. It was a land of bondage. And Jesus talked about those who commit sin. He said in John chapter 8, verse 34, that those who commit sin are the bondservants of sin. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, that those who have been taken captive by the devil, have been taken captive to do his will. They're in bondage. They're in slavery. It is a burdensome life. Didn't Jesus say, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and what? I'll give you rest. Rest from what? From the burden and the bondage of sin. So, when I look at this great man, I see a man that forsook the land of Egypt. And secondly, he was faithful as the leader of his people out of Egypt. Note, if you would, what is said. Verse 27. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through the eye of faith, Moses caught a glimpse of God, didn't he? He was a man that had courage. He was a man of conviction. Don't we need that in the world today? I mean, don't we need that in the church today? You look at all the struggles and the difficulties and the trials that Moses faced, and some of the trials that he faced were from his own people. And yet this guy was a man of courage. I can't imagine going in and standing before the most powerful man in the land. And this guy has, he has your people in bondage. And you stand before him and you say, let my people go. Let me tell you what, that takes courage. And then to have the conviction to say on behalf of God, not the gods of the Egyptians, but in the name of the God of heaven, I want you to let my people go. And then can you imagine crossing the Red Sea as if it were on dry land? I mean, you think about the courage the commitment, the conviction of this great man. Moses made some great choices in life. He made some decisions that when all was said and done, let me tell you what, those decisions, they counted for something. Now here's what I want you to see in closing today. The decisions that you make today will ultimately impact you tomorrow. It may be that some decisions you make today do not impact or impede your life today. But oh, tomorrow, 
next week, next month, next year. If any of you have ever been in sales, if you've ever sold a product or a service, you know that what you do today may not necessarily impact your pay today. But three months down the road, three months down the road, that's when you tell how, how hard or how little you worked. Well, all I'm saying today is you're making decisions in your life right now. Those decisions will ultimately affect where you spend eternity. Moses saw him who is invisible. He looked for a reward. Is that you? Are you looking for a reward? Are you walking by faith, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? If you're here today and you're not a Christian, look, the first and most important thing in your life as we speak is to make the decision to become a Christian. There's no greater, there is no greater decision. Either you say yes or you say no. What do you need to do? Well, you need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You need to repent of your sins, as Peter said on Pentecost Day, Acts 2.38. You must confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, Jesus is the Son of God, and then be immersed in water so that all your sins can be washed away, Acts 2, verse 38. And then the Lord will add you to the church and just be faithful. Live a life focused on heaven. If you're here today and maybe for whatever reason, your life is not what it ought to be. You're a child of God. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe your faith is wavered. You need the prayers of the church. Look, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you today. It might be that you're faced with some type of physical problem. And you just need the prayers of the church to help you get through tough times. We'd be happy to pray for you today as we stand and sing.